welcome back to the final part of me reading my novel Wayward for you guys. It's been a journey. It's been quite a long journey because I kept forgetting to post episodes of this, but there you go. Um, I was kind of hoping to get this done in 13 parts because that felt suitably witchy, but unfortunately no. But uh, we will be cracking into the last part of the book, which is very exciting. Having read through it all now with you guys, um... I'm having all sorts of feelings about it. There are parts of this book that I genuinely love and I feel like they were written by someone else because I don't really think that I could have written anything that is as good as uh, those pieces and those bits that I really enjoy. There's also a lot of parts that I would have done differently. There's mistakes in here that um, I've noticed and tried to gloss over as I read through just so it makes sense for you guys. And if I was writing it again, I would probably change bits of it. And I feel like it's never going to be 100% perfect, but it is still a story that I very much like. And it's been great to share it with you. And hopefully you enjoyed parts of it or all of it. If you did so, and after you finish listening to the story, do go over to Goodreads and rate it. If you'd like to purchase the book on Amazon for 99p, you can also leave a review there, which would help me greatly in reaching other people and also rating the podcast on itunes if that's where you're listening it's also very helpful to me following this um i do kind of want to maybe do a read through of my other witch themed novel dead to rights um which is more of a like a detective based witch novel um which i would like to share with you because it's a much more recent thing i wrote it last year uh, and i think might be enjoyable for you guys to hear um drop me a thumbs up on the youtube version of this or a like or a comment on the podcast version if you'd like to see that um, because it would be quite nice to share with you something else that I've written and if you can't wait for that but are interested in that idea of the book you can also purchase that one from Amazon as well there's links in the description box for that now last time Michaela was reintroduced quite abruptly to school life as she tried to get back to normal hiding her magic from everyone um, because she now has powers that she can't control because she's filled with all this energy from all these different people and she's also being quite horribly bullied um because i fancied writing about my own school experience and uh working some of that in just to you know work out some of my inner demons but mckenna is being bullied for a number of different reasons but mostly because people will bully people for being different or for being something that they don't understand so we're going to see how that amps up and solve the mystery of where the newly resurrected Cray has gone and generally tie up a few things in the novel as we head into the final chapters. In this episode there are some situations which could be triggering to people who are survivors of sexual assault or who have suicidal thoughts so I thought I'd mention that and warn for it going into the episode. So without further ado here is chapter 25. I make it to the last two lessons, barely. By the time last period comes around, everyone's worked up and bored, and the rest of the class spends the entire lesson either calling me names, throwing stuff at me when Mr. Trowler's back is turned, or laughing at me. Or at least, those that have the balls to act up. Trowler's a bastard when he wants to be. Unfortunately, today is one of those days where Mr. Trowler wants to mark oral coursework, so he sets us some French conversation exercises and puts his headphones in. I'm on my own. When the bell goes, I'm the first person out of my seat, bag already packed. I don't look at anyone as I walk quickly to the school gates. If anyone corners me on the way home, I've had it. As I walk the long way round, avoiding the short alleyway in the park for obvious reasons, I try to work a blob of gum out of my hair. Most of it comes out on my fingers, and I'll wipe it on a tree trunk. As I turn into my street, I raise my eyes for the first time in hours. 
the car isn't in the drive, which means mum and dad aren't home. I lock the front door behind me and then lean against it, dropping my bag on the floor and letting out a breath. The house is silent and dark, so I flip on a few lights on my way to my room. All I want to do is get out of my stupid school uniform and under my duvet. I open the door with my hip and kick it shut behind me as I turn the light on. My brain is exhausted. My whole body is numb with the tension of the day. Forcing myself to sit still and not react all day has bruised the connection between my brain and my body. I want to sleep forever. When something dark moves at the edge of my vision, I turn towards it. For a second, I don't react to the sight of Cray sitting on the end of my bed. Then I jump. Hey, he says tiredly. Cray? I take in his appearance. The rumpled clothes and tangled hair. The mud on his shoes and the leg of his jeans. There's a graze on his knuckles and dark circles under his eyes. Are you... I'm okay. Starving, though. He glances at the door. Didn't want to risk your parents catching me downstairs. They're not home till after five. I can get you something. My brain is stuck between being amazed that he's here and horrified at the condition he's in. What happened to you? Do you need anything else? Aside from a really, really long shower. I grab a spare towel from the back of my desk chair. Have one. I'll go find something to eat. He takes the towel and I want so badly to ask him where he's been, why he didn't stay with me when I brought him back. Cray looks like he could sleep for a year, like he's been kicked up and down the street. That's the only thing that keeps the questions locked away inside me. I go downstairs and open the fridge. In the bathroom, the shower comes on and I hear the glass door bang shut. I look into the fridge without really seeing anything. Cray looks so tired, so worn, like one of the homeless people begging with their heads down, sitting in a doorway with a paper cup of pennies. It's been four days since I left Wayward, four days since I brought him back. Where has he been? I fry up a pack of bacon and make sandwiches with lots of tomato sauce on thick slices of white bread. With the whole lot on a tray alongside two cups of strong sugary tea, I go back upstairs and find Chris sitting on my bed again, this time with his wet hair hanging into his eyes. Breakfast for lunch, I say, putting the tray on the bed and sitting down. Thanks. Cray takes a sandwich and starts to eat, barely stopping to chew. He's on his second one while I'm blowing on my tea. Where have you been? I ask, wincing when it comes out more judgmentally than I'd intended. Cray shrugs. Around, thinking. I decide not to ask any more questions. He'll tell me when he's ready, if he wants to. My mind is buzzing with things to ask, but the biggest question, the most urgent, is whether he's planning on staying. Cray demolishes the sandwiches in no time and puts the plate on the floor, taking his cup of tea and crossing his legs. The shirt he's wearing is rank. There's nothing in my room that'll fit him, though, apart from my games kit. It has a red polo shirt and grey joggers that might do. While Cray sips his tea in silence, I try to think of a way to offer him the clothes without making him feel worse about his condition. I went to my grave, he says after a while, in town. The big cemetery in South Down on the hill. I suppose someone must have found my body. I want to take his hand, but I'm scared he'll pull away from me. Campion's there too. Not Ilex, though. He's probably in the family crypt somewhere, if they found him. He rubs a hand over his face. I don't know where Nara would be. She never told us her last name, neither did Chronicle. They could be anywhere. Do you want to find them? It won't be easy, but there are places we could find out. Look at the pictures on the missing person website, even find copies of the local paper from where Chronicle used to live. There are only so many schools in Bath. Nara must have gone to one of them. It won't make a difference, Cray says. I can't bring them back. I can't even do magic anymore. At all? Not since I woke up. I can't do a single thing, not even a blinding hex. He picks at the mud on his jeans. That's why I look so awful. I've been sleeping in the churchyard. Didn't fancy taking my chances in town. He looks so empty and sad. Guilt makes my stomach turn. This is what I brought him back to. A world where his only friends are dead. Where he has nothing. I'm... I can get them back. I will, I say. 
Crow looks at me like I'm insane. After what that spell did to you. You lost your hand, Michaela, I saw. You think I just let you lose the other one for Chronicle? And what would you give for Ilex, or Nara, or Campion? There'd be nothing left. But they're dead because of me. They were already dead, a long time ago. Sophia killed them. It wasn't her. There was something controlling her, a shade, from the astral. Crow's eyebrows shoot up. How long had it been here? I don't know. Maybe it got here before Wayward ever existed. It wanted to kill descendants of other shades that made it here, ones that became gods and goddesses. So you're... I looked down at my hands. I think my family started with Keridwen, with the son she had, after killing that blind guy. Crow stares at me, then shakes his head. I used to think I understood magic, that I knew myself, the craft, and this... This is all new. I don't understand it at all, and I can't believe I left you to deal with it alone. I just... I needed to work myself out. I'm not alone. I came home. I put my hand on his arm and he looks at me. He doesn't pull away and I feel my heart ache a little less. I was worried about you. I didn't know if I'd done the spell right or if you were angry with me. I thought maybe Sophia was controlling you, like before. Before, when I said I loved you. Crow looked so sad that I wish I hadn't said anything. That was me. I meant it. I still mean it. I love you. You don't have to say that just because I brought you back. I'm saying it because it's true. He takes my hand and squeezes it. I left because I woke up not knowing what I was. For months, or maybe even years, I've been a fetch, and I never even knew it. I didn't even know if what happened with my parents, with everything that happened on the street, if that was real or just something that Sophia made me believe. I thought maybe my parents were looking for me, that I'd just gone missing one day and they still wanted me back. I imagine his confusion, how he must have felt, not knowing who or what he was. I'd felt the same when I woke up on the floor of the house at Bristol, my world had changed entirely, and I'd been so lost. I went to an internet cafe. That's how I found my grave, Crow says. Once I knew it was true, that Sophia killed me, that the police found my body, I had to go see my parents. He closed his eyes, shaking his head like he can't believe it himself. I should have known. It was true, all of it. Me running away, my parents not bothering to stay around long enough to find me. I looked it up online. They were on holiday when my body was pulled out of the Avon. It was in the paper. Cray, I'm so sorry. I almost came back, he says. Almost came to find you right away, but I've been remembering things. Things I did for Sophia. I didn't just take blankets and books to the Bristol Coven. I helped take witches there too. I helped Ilex and Chronicle and the others to hide the bodies after Sophia was done with them. He blinks and tears start rolling down his face. I can't stop myself from pulling him into a tight hug. His hands are desperate as they grab me back, and I press my cheek against his letting him cry out whatever horrors he can't bring himself to tell me. In a weird way, I'm glad the others are dead, finally at rest and not having to go through this. I can't imagine poor Nara having to carry around the memories of digging graves, of dragging dead witches into holes in the ground. I don't want to think of the amount of whiskey Ilex would drink if he could remember scrubbing blood off the floor. I remember Campion telling me about the Summerlands. It's the pagan afterlife, where your soul goes to be with the goddess and the god, to one day be reincarnated. She described it like a personal heaven, where you could rest and meet the people you loved who were already with the gods. I hope to myself that they find each other, Chronicle, Ilex, Nara and Campion. For them at least, Wayward, and what happened there, is over. I promised myself, there and then, that for as long as Cray wants to stay with me, I will take care of him, the way he took care of me when I had no one. After a while, Cray pulls back and wipes his face with his sleeve. Sorry, he mutters. It's okay. I can't imagine what it feels like, remembering that pretty fucking terrible. But I know I didn't want to do those things. That's what I keep telling myself. You're right. 
but Sophia's gone and the shades did too. I killed them, it's over. Crow looks at me for a moment, then shakes his head. My stomach turns cold. There's more, Crow says, echoing the ghosts of the forty sacrifices. You said it yourself, Sophia was trying to kill the descendants of shades. If forty of them made it here, plus the one in Sophia, how many others do you think will come from the astral wanting exactly the same thing? How many already have? I don't know, I say quietly. What if we're the only ones that know? Crow says, and there's all those people out there with targets on their backs, people like you, and they don't even know it. You're making it sound like a quest or something, like we have to help them. Well, somebody should, and you're the one with all that power. You brought me back from the dead. I took this power from Sophia to stay alive. The power of all the witches she killed, of that shade. It's in me now, I guessed. Well, then you know I can't use it. It's too strong and it scares me. I can feel myself choking up. Wayward and magic and everything that's happened scares me. Today at school, I felt it trying to get free. It started changing things around me. But you're still here. You controlled it. For how long? We stare at each other in silence. I can see Cray thinking, trying to piece everything together. But he's tired. And after being plagued at school and hearing his awful story, I just want to sleep for about a year. Cray, will you stay here? I don't want to leave. I mean it when I say I love you, if you still want me. I do, of course I do. But your parents might not want me around. He's right. I couldn't even tell my parents what I'd been doing, not really. And I haven't wanted to tell them anything about Cray. I know they're not going to react well to my homeless boyfriend staying in their house. I can hide you, just for tonight until I work out what to tell them. Cray doesn't look convinced, but he nods. Okay. Gives us time to work out what happens next. I don't want to think about what that might be. What if Cray wants to go on some kind of crusade against the Shades? I've already seen so much evil and death. I don't want to put myself back in harm's way or drag my parents into the firing line. And I don't want Cray to go through any more than he already has. Than he already has. I can't let it happen. With Cray hiding upstairs, dinner with my parents is tense. It doesn't get any better when they ask me about school. It was fine. There's a pause while Mum and Dad exchange looks over their plates of pasta bake. Mrs Good phoned me at work, Mum says. She has a job four days a week at the Cats and Dogs home. Mrs Good would have told her everything. People were assholes. Michaela, Dad says sharply. She can say what she likes about them, Mum says. You should have heard how upset her teacher was. Those kids are out of control. I can't believe some of the things she said. It'll get better, Dad assures me. And anyway, you've got your friends. I think of Cray upstairs, my only friend. My old friends hate me, I say. But there's someone I was friends with when I was away. I saw him today. Where? Dad says immediately. Just out, on my way home. I think he needs help, and I was wondering if you'd let him stay. Well, Mum starts, but Dad cuts her off. Michaela, if he needs help, he should go to a shelter in town, or he can talk to someone at the drop-in. I can't start taking teenagers in off the street. But I know him. He's got nowhere to go. He doesn't have anyone else. And I'm sorry about that, but I'm not this boy's dad, and I'm not prepared to risk bringing him into my house. But... Michaela, I really think we should talk about how you're going to handle school tomorrow, he says. Mum? Mum sighs. He has a point. Does this boy have family? Maybe we can phone them and explain the trouble he's in. They won't care, I say. When he disappeared, they didn't try looking for him. They went on holiday. Mum and Dad look at each other, and I can see they're not going to budge. Fine, OK, you're not going to let him stay. But just so you know, if he hadn't found me the night you threw me out with basically nothing... If he hadn't given me a place to sleep and clothes and food, I would have been in just as much trouble as he is now. I pick up my plate. I'm going to eat upstairs. 
Michaela, Dad calls after me, but I hear Mum shush him. Upstairs I find Christ sitting on the floor between my bed and the window, out of sight. Did you hear? He nods. I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. At least they have a good reason. I'm not even sure my parents would take me in, let alone someone I met on the street. You can stay. I don't care what they say. I don't want to get you in trouble. What? They're going to throw me out again? Great. See if I care. I sink down on the bed and offer him my pasta plate. You don't mean that. I don't think I can face school again, I say quietly. Today was... I know it's not as bad as what you're going through, but people were looking at me like I was dirty, saying I had lice and STDs. They threw things at me. Chloe called me a prostitute. You know none of that's true, Cray says, getting up on the bed and taking my hand. But they enjoyed believing it so much. What if they don't stop when I can finally leave school? It's been in the paper, everyone knows. Well, after school you can move, go to university. And just pretend I never knew you, any of you, that those months never happened. I realise how selfish I'm being. Cray's problems are so much bigger than mine. Is there anything I can do to help you? I was just about to ask you that, he says, the corner of his mouth lifting. I sigh. I don't think there's anything to do about school, but I could see if I could help you use magic again. Sophia must have done something so you and the others could use magic before. That's probably why she made you new bodies, so she could have the magic in you. So you could have the magic in you. I'm sure I missed something in the grimoire. You don't want to use magic. But if I can get it back for you. Michaela, Cray shifts uncomfortably. You don't want to use magic to find the other shades, to help people like you. I understand that, that it scares you. But if you can't help them, I don't want you to help me. I feel like he slapped me. The way he's saying it makes it sound so selfish, that I only want to help him because I know him, because I love him. It's not that I don't want to help anyone else. If I knew for sure that there were other shades out there trying to kill people, I'd want to do something. Only, I don't know that. And I don't know why I'd even start trying to find other people like me. Or, or even if they'd want to be found. I'm only one person with power that I can't begin to understand. I can't go off on a mission that doesn't even exist, I say quietly. We don't know anything about shades, not really. I don't know how to find them or how to find witches like me. We can find out from the grimoire, Cray says stubbornly. And I'm sorry, but if you could find a way to give me back my magic, the first thing I would do would be to start finding ways to make sure no one else dies because of those things. No one like me or Campion or Nara, Chronicle, Ilex. And no one like you. I've rubbed my hand over my eyes. It's been such a long and horrible day. I was so happy to see Grey, but now he's making me feel terrible for coming back to my parents and my old life. It's not that I wouldn't save someone if they were in danger, if I knew they needed help. It's what he's suggesting, that we go off on a quest to hunt down shades and protect other witches. It's the kind of thing you see on the sci-fi channel. I can't even imagine it as a life. Let's just get some sleep, I say. Cray looks like he wants to keep talking, but you can see I've had enough. He nods and I get my games kit so he has something to sleep in. I go to brush my teeth and change. When I come back, he's wearing my kit and sitting awkwardly on the edge of my bed. I'm okay on the floor if you want, he says. Don't be silly, I say, pulling back the duvet. If you're okay with sharing, we'll share, like always. It doesn't feel like always. Before, when we'd been sharing the bathroom at Wayward, it had been as equals. Now I feel Cray's discomfort are hiding under my pink duvet in my room, wearing clothes that I've lent him. He must be exhausted, though, as he falls asleep within minutes. I lie awake, worrying about school tomorrow and trying to think of a way to keep both of my lives, my normal one with my family and my life with Cray. For all that one of those lives contains witches and shades, magic and spells, it feels more real to me and more solid than the idea of going to school again until I can escape to uni. I stare at the ceiling and listen to Cray's steady breathing, wishing I could put off tomorrow forever.
Chapter 26. My alarm wakes me up, and when I turn over, I realise that I'm alone in bed. Cray, I sit up and look around. Cray, I hiss. The door of my built-in wardrobe slides open. There he is, cuddled on the floor between two boxes of old school stuff, covered in my pink dressing gown. Why are you in there? Your mum came in to check on you last night. I hid before she opened the door, but I didn't want a chance falling asleep and getting caught. He has a point. I've been stupid to think that he could stay out in the open while my parents were in the house. I'll bring you up some breakfast, I say, getting out of bed and picking up my throw and a pillow to take over to him. He passes me my dressing gown and I put it on. Are you going to school? I think I have to. They won't let me stay home, or Dad won't, which is basically the same thing. Cray nods, looking unhappy but resigned. Mum's home all day today, I say. I can get out through the window and just keep busy until night, he offers. I was going to say just stay in here and hide if you hear her, I say. I'm not going to make you go outside in the cold. He looks relieved. I kneel down, leaning forward slowly so he can stop me if he doesn't want to eat. Leaning forward slowly so he can stop me if he doesn't want me to kiss him. Instead, he turns his face to mine and brings a hand up to thread his fingers through my hair. I rest our feet. I rest our foreheads together. We'll work it out, I promise, I say. Just give me until the weekend to come up with a plan. Hey, I've got nowhere else to be, Cray says. My heart hurts, leaving him in my bedroom like that. I know that with just a few glamours and a bit of trickery, I could get him a new identity. He could be a real living person then. We could find another abandoned house and he could live there. Maybe even go to school if we were careful and smart about it. I sigh as I traipse downstairs. I know it's a daydream. No glamour would hold up for more than seven hours. With Cray unable to do magic, I'd have to constantly renew his ID, money, everything. And he wouldn't let me do that. Not if it meant I wasn't helping anyone but him. Morning, Mum says, putting bread in the toaster. Ready for another day? Not really. Look at it this way. It can only get better, Mum says. Dad is eating toast in the living room, watching the news. I check that he's not paying attention before I mutter to Mum. I really don't think I can go back there, Mum. Oh, sweetie. Mum pulls a sympathetic face and rubs my arm. I know it's hard, but just try and ignore them. They'll get bored soon. I don't see that happening. Right now, I'm the most exciting thing to happen at school since that guy punched through reinforced glass and got his arm stuck. I'm not going to be allowed to stay home, so I eat my breakfast as fast as I can, then take more upstairs. Isn't that enough, Toast? Mum says. I'm hungry. Hmm. Upstairs, I pack my bag and get ready for school in the bathroom, while Cray eats cold toast and drinks a lukewarm cup of tea. I leave him my packed lunch, thinking I can grab something at the canteen. I'll be home soon, I say awkwardly, one hand on the door handle. I'll be fine, Cray says. Don't let anyone get to you. What they think doesn't matter. I love you, and so do your parents. On my way out of the house, Mum stops me and hands me a plastic bag with some cereal bars, apples and bathroom stuff in it. I was going to give you some money, but... Well, I wouldn't want it to go on drugs or anything that would get him in trouble. If you see your friend again today, give this to him. It's a sad little collection of stuff, but I remember the way Cray looked last night, dirty and tired and hungry. I suppose in the day since Wayward, he would have been happy to have a little bit of food and some toothpaste, or a pack of face wipes. Thanks, Mum. She shrugs and goes back to the kitchen to do the washing up. I shove the carrier bag in with my school stuff. I can eat some of the food for lunch, but the other stuff I'll save for Cray. The walk to school is the same as it was the previous day. People looking, muttering amongst themselves. Some kids pointing or shouting stuff that I ignore. In registration, I sit completely silent in my corner and doodle in my planner. I don't have any lessons with Chloe or Tasha that morning, but after a miserable lunchtime alone in the library, I walk to geography ten minutes early and find both of them waiting for me outside the classroom. They're not alone. 
Dan and Ben from my maths class are there, as well as three other girls that Chloe sometimes talks to in PE if we need more than three people in a group. My first thought is that they must be waiting for me. Then reality kicks in and I realise there's no way they have my timetable memorised. It's just bad luck that the geography classrooms are all the way on the far side of the school and a little annex down a really long corridor where on-duty teachers never check. For a second they all just stare at me and I stare back. I think in that second I understand how a rabbit feels when it comes face to face with a pack of dogs. Looking for somewhere to sleep? Ben asks. I turn around and head back up the corridor, but they follow me. Hey, I asked you a question, Dan calls. Rude cow, Chloe chips in. Michaela, what are you doing down here? Probably trying to go through people's stuff, one of the girls says, just as Chloe grabs my arm and spins me around. We're going to have to tell Mrs Good if you were going into people's bags. I don't want Mrs Good to know about the things that I used to do, and I can see that Chloe knows it. I try and pull away, but Ben and Dan have circled around behind me. I'm surrounded. There's still five minutes until the bell goes. I can last that long, but they're going to make the most of it. In fact, she says, maybe I should get her to tell your parents all about your homeless boyfriend, unless you are making him up. Oh my God, that's so sad. Tasha snorts. Even your imaginary boyfriend's a loser. Shut up. The words fly out before I can stop them. My response makes their eyes shine. They know they've got me now. My head is already pounding. I try and take a step back, but one of the guys grabs me, one hand around my arm, the other squeezing my boob. Fuck off! I struggle, but he just laughs and Chloe smirks right in my face. You know, Michaela, you can make a bit of effort now you're not living in the same alley you piss in. She waves a hand back at her cluster of hangers-on. Lipstick, please. I'm still struggling against the two idiots pinning my arms, but they're not letting me go. The pain in my head is so bad that I can barely think. I just want to get away. Chloe's coming towards my face with a bright red lip crayon. Let's make you look nice for your lesson. The tip of the crayon skids over my cheeks as she colours them in. The girls are giggling. The guy's trying to hold me still as I turn my face away. The only warning I get is the crackle of hot energy over my palms, the sudden lack of pain in my head. The whole hallway shifts. It's like someone has picked up the floor and shaken it like a rug. Chloe and her gang fall to the floor and I struggle to stay on my feet, stepping over the scrambling bodies of Ben and Dan. Chloe's the first one to get to her feet, staring at me. What the? I blink and she's gone. Just gone. My breath catches. What the fuck have I done? Then I notice Chloe's clothes on the floor in a heap. Tasha screams and the other girls take up the cry as a long red snake, the same bright sickly colour of lipstick, slithers away down the corridor. She's, Ben says, then breaks off and looks at me. You did that. Stay away from us, Tasha shouts. Panic shoots through me. Fix it, fix it now, my head screams. I raise my hand, causing the girls to scream and throw their arms over their heads. I send energy out to the snake as it writhes on the vinyl floor. It twists and changes, as I imagine Chloe's real form, until the girl I know is lying on the ground, naked and wide-eyed. Her pupils are slits, her tongue forked when she cries out in anger and fear. I take a step backwards, then another. Chloe's face shifts back to normal, but still I feel something terrible hanging over me. I don't think... Just throw up my hands and hurl at a blinding hex in all directions. The bell rings overhead just as they fall to the floor, unconscious. I need to get away before the halls fill with students. Looking down at the unconscious people on the floor, I summon up my energy. It comes easily, just leaping to my fingers. I focus on the element of air, of thought and memory, throwing silver darts of energy into their minds. They'll forget they saw or felt anything strange or magical. Though part of me wants to do more, I raise their minds until they're drooling messes. I force myself to walk away from them, and then to run. It was never very hard to get out of school, 
but the fact that I'm running gets the attention of the PE teacher, locking up her car at the front of the building. Ms Caro shoves her keys in her pocket and calls out, Michaela? I run straight through the front gate and into the street. Michaela! By the time I reach the alleyway that provides a shortcut home, air is soaring in and out of my lungs. I have to slow down and walk. Knowing that my mum is at home makes me reluctant to get there. Even now, someone from the school is probably calling her. If Cray wasn't there, I'd probably avoid the house altogether. Knowing that makes me suddenly sad, in a way that Chloe and her arsehole friends hadn't managed. They might have called me names, humiliated me and felt me up. They hadn't made me feel like I had nowhere to run. Magic had done that. I cut around to the back of the house, through an alleyway between back gardens. It's the way Cray must have come. There's still an upside-down bucket by the back fence where he climbed over. Scared that at any moment Mum might look out the window and open the door to shout at me, I run up the garden and use the pile of turf stacked by the shed to climb onto its roof. From there I hoist myself up and tap on my bedroom window. When Cray opens it, I slide over the sill, breathless and scared. I've never liked heights. Michaela, what happened? I sit down on my bed, not caring about the dirt on my clothes from climbing up to my bedroom. Taking a shaky breath, I look up at him. I turned a girl at school into a snake. Cray stares at me, then snorts. It's not funny, I snap. People saw me do it. She could have got lost or the school could have had her taken away and killed. Her parents would never have seen her again. Cray sits down next to me. I didn't think about that. I'm sorry. I could have really hurt them just for calling me names or pushing me around. One of the guys grabbed my boob and now he's lost a chunk of his memory. I don't even know how much. You did what you had to to get away. Sounds like it was getting out of control. I'm out of control and they're probably already phoning my mum. The phone did ring a while ago, Cray says anxiously. Crap. Well, that's that then. Might as well pack. I get up and haul out the pink bag I packed the night I left home. Cray takes it from me and dumps it on the bed. You don't have to. I do, don't you get it? I hiss. A couple of bullies called me names and roughed me up and I could have killed them all. If I'd used a little more energy, they would be dead. Chloe would be lost somewhere, stuck as a snake. Can you imagine the shitstorm that's going to hit when I go downstairs? I don't know what I'll do if they start on me. It'll only get worse when they make me go back to school. We can find a way to control it, Cray says, hands up, trying to calm me. My bedside lamp pops like a glass balloon. Both of us jump. What's the point in me staying if I can never tell my parents the truth? What's going to happen to you? You're just going to live in my wardrobe until I leave for uni. Then what? There's no way to win. No way for me to stay here. And I think I've known that since I got back. Waywood fucked everything up. I can't be here. Cray looks sad, but not surprised. And I know that he's been thinking the same since he arrived. There's no way for me to take back my old life. It's as out of reach as Cray's former existence with his parents. It's not just what I've seen and done. It's that I've got a terrifying amount of power in me. And if I can't contain it, what hope does a semi-detached in Bath have? We have to leave, I say, hearing the wobble in my voice. We have to leave, I say, hearing the wobble in my voice. Today. Now. You're not going to say goodbye. I don't know. I sniff and tears roll down my face. I don't know what to do. I don't want to leave them. I can't stay. My bedroom curtains crumple like old paper. I try to keep the energy from leaping out of me, but it just makes it worse. I can feel my hair standing up all over my body. My fingers burn with hot and cold. Cray wraps his arms around me and I hang on, shaking. Maybe we can get this under control. Then you can come back, Cray offers, stroking my back. It won't have to be forever. I only cry harder. Ever since they kicked me out, things have changed. Even now we're not the same family we were. It's all been ruined. I can never be the same girl as before. Not now that I know how they can treat me. Not now that I've had to survive without them. If I do this, leave again. There will be no coming back. Cray lets me muffle my sobs in his shoulder. 
I don't want to look up or even leave the little space the two of us share at the end of my bed in my room. As soon as I sit up straight, I'll have to make a decision. Unfortunately, one of the things that I've learnt the hard way is that things never last forever, and rarely as long as we need them to. I sit up and wipe my eyes on my sleeve. Epilogue. It seems like centuries since Cray and I stepped off of the bus and walked to Wayward House. This time, as I drop from the sweat-scented interior of the bus onto the pavement, it's daylight and the air smells like the sea. We've left the woods behind, leaving Bath behind too. Cray stands next to me as the bus roars off, looking down at the weather-beaten town below us. Now that looks like a horror film, he says, lighting his first cigarette since we boarded the bus back in Birmingham, after the long coach journey from Bristol. We've been on the road for over 12 hours, with various pit stops and changes, and now we're standing next to a bench and a brick wall, within sight of a Scottish village by the sea. I haven't spoken since we left my parents, sneaking out of my bedroom window like I was going out to a party on the sly. How could I face my mum and tell her I was leaving? How could I explain it to her? Even if she believed me, there was no way for her to help. I wasn't going to be the unexploded bomb under her roof. I look to my side and find Cray watching me, concern written all over his face. It'll get better. No, it won't, I say quietly, looking at the wide green sea. No, it won't, I say quietly, looking at the wide grey sea. But it can't get worse. He takes my hand and we walk down the one-lane road that bypasses the village completely. I try to ignore the fact that I can feel the sea, the energy in it. I can count the people living down in the village, and from the windswept graveyard on the hill, I can hear the prickling static sound of the ancient bones in the ground crumbling, leaving their energy for the soil. With that energy, or even with the power I already contain, I could make the sea rise, swamping the houses and blotting out the little lives there. I could ruin the village and turn it into a sandbar. Or I could cloak us, hide Cray and I from the world, until we're ready to take on our next scheming shade. On the way here, to the destination I let myself be guided to on the shifting digital departure board, I've made a decision. Not using my power is clearly not the answer to my problems. There's no way to deny it now. I'm a witch right down to my bones. I have power that refuses to go unused for long. The only thing that I can do with it is harness it. I will take the power that I gained by accident, and I will use it to find anyone else like me, or like Cray, witches and normal people targeted by shades. Maybe I can even help anyone struggling like I was, alone and cold in the night, with no one to take care of them. You're sure there's anything down there? Cray asks as we pick our way through a wide belt of tangled scrub. There are bare trees stretching high above us, their sap sleepy and cool. I catch sight of some mistletoe, a perfect circle of it hanging from a branch just ahead. I'm sure. We break out of the woods and into a little clearing, where only tall weeds bar the way. Ahead of us is a rusted ferris wheel, a scattering of little huts and amusements with peeling signs. A metal fence sags around it. Here? Cray asks. He hasn't asked about our destination since I led him to the coach at the station. I know he trusts me, as much as I trust him. He's still giving me everything he can, even without his magic. Here, I say. Plenty of space, privacy, and enough things to use my power on that it doesn't get bottled up. I suppose you're right, he says, and starts walking towards the nearest wooden shack, which has candy floss painted on it in faded pink, outlined in gold. I catch up with him and he takes my hand. For a second, I can feel something other than the woods, the sea and the coppery chemical sweetness of the carnival. It's only for a second, but I know it'll be back. Carried when knows where to find me. And that is the end of Wayward by me, Sarah Goodwin. Um, I did actually consider writing a sequel to this, um, doing some other stories, but 
I had other ideas and it's just something that I've never gotten around to writing, although I still think there's plenty to explore in Michaela's world and the magic lore it contains. I hope you've enjoyed the story. Uh, please do remember to go and rate and review over on Goodreads or Amazon. And you can also buy the book, which helps to support the podcast. And let me know if you'd be interested in a read through of Dead to Rights as well. Bye.